This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Our goal at Everyday Tech is to keep your technology not only working, but working for you. I'm the host, Abram Nanny, and you can join me and my friends Wednesday mornings at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Or search Everyday Tech on your favorite podcasting app or download the MPB Public Media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lodridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives. She is a chartered financial analyst. On Money Talks, we are always here to answer your personal finance questions, but this morning we're also going to go through some personal finance New Year's resolutions. You can email the show. It's money at mpbonline.org. We're not always able to answer your emails during the show, but uh, Nancy will always send you a personal response to any email question that you send our way. So good morning, Nancy. Uh, you, we were chatting earlier, and you told me that you're not feeling well, so we appreciate your uh, being with us, even though you're feeling under the weather. How has your holidays been? Well, they've been great. Uh, Happy New Year, Kevin. Um, we got to see our five-year-old granddaughter, who is a germ factory. <laughs> and uh, so she passed on her cold. Thankfully, it's not COVID. But it's been a long time since we've been cloistered for so long, since we even had just an ordinary cold. So this is like, wow, I forgot what this is about. And I don't like it. <laughs> and probably still as annoying as ever, I imagine. <laughs> It is. And it, so I have my cough drops and my water, and if I start to cough, well, please forgive me. Uh, Kevin, you'll jump in and offer advice, right? Exactly. So, And, you know, that's funny because to me, sometimes you do feel bad. I think the flu is worse, but with a cold, it gets to the point where, again, as I said, it just gets to be annoying. And it's like, can I get it over this, please? So Exactly. <clears throat> we wish you well. Hope that you are back uh, up at 100% uh, as soon as possible. So, <clears throat> you know, we always like to start off the show with uh, personal finance news. And so now we're starting off a show that starts off a new year. So what's on your mind? Well, the start of the new year is the start of a rollout of a new FAFSA form. And FAFSA stands for Free Application for Federal Student Aid. And they have streamlined this form. It used to have 103 questions. That's a lot to come up with. Now it has 18 questions. It has a way for you to upload your financial documents. So if you are looking to go back to college or start college anytime soon and you need a Pell Grant or a loan or you need to qualify for work study, you're going to have to fill out this FAFSA and you can now do this online. They have changed some of the guidelines on this, so um, they've broadened some of the income categories so you may find that you can qualify for more than you thought you could. Um, the downside is that we're finding that families that have multiple people in college may get hit a little harder. But new form, a new year, uh, an easier way to get some help when you try to go back to college. And that's interesting. I think when we think of, when I think of FAFSA, at least I do think of, of you know people entering college for the first time. But as you mentioned, this would be qualified for anyone who's seeking higher education. So someone who might have uh, had some education is in the workforce and wants to return to uh, to, to school. This that can benefit them as well. Or you know just that non traditional <laughs> student. That's what we call those adults maybe going back to school for the first time, um, find out if you can get some help because, you know, you're probably going to need it. 
So before we dive into some things about our uh, New Year's resolutions for personal finance, uh, you know, Nancy, April will be here before we know it. It's tax time. So what are some things that uh, you would advise people to start thinking about here in January when it comes to tax season? Well, I would say probably wait. Don't worry about January. Don't start thinking about it until February. Because, Kevin, we have people who called us at the end of the year saying, I need to get my tax forms. Well, they're not out yet. And so those forms won't be going out to you, your W-2s, your 1099s, all that information you have to report on your taxes won't be showing up till sometime first part of February. So just relax. Uh, you can worry about it later, and, um, and but at that time, it will be a race. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those that uh, actually awaits my mailbox, although in our um, good thing here is that we work that you're able to get your uh, W-2 form online, so that uh, makes it a little easier and, and, and a little quicker. But uh, seeing that I usually get a return, uh, I'm always anxious to get it, uh, get the form in, and, and <laughs> get the money in. My and you always, you always rub that in, don't you? That you get money back, you well, get a refund. But, but I will say this is one of those where I'm loaning the government, you know, money right tax free until each year because I, you know, I, I, I'm paying in more than I should. So there, there's that. Well, and. Yeah, but uh, for a lot of people, that's sort of forced savings, because if you had it in your hot hands, would you have that lump sum to do something with? Right. So that's, you know, I, I like the windfall, so that's why I've, I've chose to go that way. So, uh, But uh, good advice. Don't uh, don't freak out yet. I mean, it's, this is more something to think about towards uh, the end of January, then that's when it really begins, and that's when you probably need to pick up things so that you don't, uh, because that's the other thing, you know, end of January, before you know it, it will be April, and... and uh, and then, then you really do have to start, start thinking about taxes. I know. I mean, Kevin, it's 2024. What happened to the last five years? <laughs> Just a quick story on growing older. <clears throat> I, every time I th- something like this happens, so I'll be talking to someone and say, yeah, that was a couple of years ago, wasn't it? And they look at me with a strange look on their face and say, a couple of years ago, that was like 10 years ago. So yes. I, th- I think the older we get, things get a little foggy maybe. So, well, they just go faster. Time just speeds. So anything else uh, catch your eye in the news uh, during the tail end of 23 or here at the beginning of 24? Well, there have been other changes, and you heard some in the news at the top of the hour, some changes in minimum wages around the country. Uh, not in Mississippi. We're still at a lower amount. Uh, we're going to have to make do with all of that. But um, in certain areas, we're starting to see increases in wages, but the greater benefit for employees is just the tight labor market that we're still experiencing. And that means that you have the ability to negotiate for higher wages, you have the ability to move up to a better paying job, and that's what a lot of people are doing. Now, we have looked at all of the spending over Christmas, and it's just been like, wow, you know, you could feel it. I could certainly feel it. Every time I went out to shop to go get lunch, I came back to the office saying, my goodness, it's a frenzy out there. And we're starting to see that in the numbers that our spending held up quite a bit over this holiday season. Consumers were there. They were opening up their wallets. And um, now all of that talk about recession has now leaned over into what we thought was impossible, which was a soft landing. Everybody's like shrugging their shoulders saying, looks like we're there. 
Which again is, you know, you always preach caution and, and that sort of thing. And I, I think this is a perfect example because you're right. For the while there, we were all worried about, uh, you know, a recession and what would happen and, and can we have that safe landing. And so you sometimes just kind of do your best and, and, and wait to see how things turn out, I guess. Right. And um, but this is the time that you really need to double down and look at your finances and see how you can save more and prepare because, you know, um, even though we're not looking a recession in the face right now, they always come. We always see pullbacks. We have job layoffs. Get yourself ready for that moment so you don't panic. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We'll get a call in before our first break. So off to Summit we go. TC has called in today. Good morning. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year's. Thank you. Um, I, I have a question, a financial question. Uh, it's dealing with my vehicle. Um, I, I got a vehicle that I financed, uh, I'll say, three years ago. It was a $10,000 vehicle, but if I kept the vehicle for the extended amount of time, it would be, I would have paid 27000 Okay, as of now, wow. I've paid, I paid 14, what, 13000 we're right at $14,000, and I still owe 13000 And yeah. I, I also listen to y'all's show, I also listen to AutoCorrect, and I found out through Coach Charlie, they call it the Rule of 67. And I see that I'm in that rule of 67, and I'm upside down on the vehicle cost because every late payment that I'm late, everything goes towards the interest. And I'm trying to figure out, I'm in the process of trying to refinance it, so I'm waiting on everything to go through at this moment. But if, if all this fails, I'm trying to decide uh, how bad, if I just decide to let the car go voluntarily, I know that's considered a repo, and I know that probably will hurt my credit pretty bad. Yes, yes. But I just don't see me ever getting out of this 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 vehicle because uh, I found out the value the, the car was ten thousand and the value of the uh, car is eight thousand now and that's the refinancing company is trying to figure something out for me. Gosh, TC, this is um, you know this is what we try to teach people about and educate folks because you get taken advantage of. And when you purchase that vehicle, do you know what the interest rate was on that loan? It was at, uh, I want to say 30, 28, 30% because wow. the credit was around 650. Okay. And that's on a car loan. That is just, I mean, that's the worst rate I've seen on a credit card, not even a car loan, which is a secured loan. Um, so this is where people get into what I call the credit ditch. Um, um, and because you can't qualify for something, you need a car, you need a vehicle to travel, go to work, do what you need to do, and then you get stuck into a loan which puts you upside down. Um, you're, this is where you are right now. So let me ask you this question. Do you have any other assets? Do you own a home? Um, do you own land? Do you have a savings account? Do you have a retirement account? Uh Yes, ma'am, I, I do, but uh, I've called a show in the past where I kind of mm -hmm. got out of that pan when I filed in Chapter 7 bankruptcy, and it took me seven years to get all this stuff paid off. So I'm kind of right. like starting, pretty much starting all over, but it's, right now it's the car that's killing me 
because at the point in time, I didn't have no other choice but to get the vehicle to get back and forth to work. But as of now, I don't have any assets because I've had to close out several of my CD accounts because I just, when I got upside down on the vehicle, it was basically taking all of everything that I was making. Right. TC, I'm so sorry. I mean, this is really difficult to get out of um, because you said you, you've already filed Chapter 7 bankruptcy. How long ago was that? Well, that that was seven years ago. I qualified for it, but I never filed for it. Okay, so you didn't file for it. Um, I, I think this might be a case where this is appropriate and um because you need some relief and i don't see how you're going to get relief on your own so i would encourage you to go talk to a bankruptcy attorney and see if you can uh, get some things rearranged yes it's going to really hurt your finances and it's going to hurt your credit record but i think your your credit record is already damaged if you're struggling to make your car payments if you have to end up making the choice of letting the car go because you can't afford to do it any longer, you already have the damage. So you might as well go ahead and bite the bullet and see if you can get some relief on this. Okay. okay. Now, a, bank, a bankruptcy attorney can talk to you about the different types of bankruptcy and what will work for you, what is most appropriate. They will look at what your income is, uh, what your expenses are, and try to help you get sorted out of this because you're going to have to somehow find your way through and you still probably need a car just to get to work right exactly exactly yeah but um it could be that through that process you can negotiate for a lower rate on that and a lower loan payment now one other thing you might want to do is just go ahead and call the finance company that holds the debt on the car and see if there's some relief there. But again, I think it sounds like a visit with a bankruptcy attorney is appropriate here. Okay, okay. And I, I, don't, I know that people don't like to use names, but like it's through Capital One, they say do not refinance. But but like I said in the beginning, I'm waiting on a, uh, a credit union to get back with me within the next two or three business days to see if they will refinance the vehicle for me. If, if they do that, then it, that might be a little little bit of relief. But if they don't do so it... The credit union, is that with your employer? Uh, no, ma'am. It would be one of the local local branches in my area. Okay. So do you, um, does your employer have a credit union? Uh, no, ma'am. Okay. Because many times... Credit unions that are attached to employers um, will give you credit when others will not because they know they're going to do payroll deduction. Okay. okay. That might help you. Yeah. So see see what they have to say, and then um, I think you're just going to have to try some of these different out uh, avenues. And you know, bankruptcy is worst case scenario, but you may be there. Okay. Okay. Well, I show. Thank you, Nancy. And thank you all for the show. All right. Well, good uh, luck, TC. Yeah, good it's luck. It's a new year. Happy New Year to you all, too, and thank you. All right. 
Thanks, TC. Good luck. And going uh, first to the credit union, and then as Nancy suggested, that would be appropriate maybe to meet with a bankruptcy attorney and maybe not even go through with it. But at least if you have that meeting, uh, the attorney can sort of lay it out for you and you can help make uh, an informed decision about that. So you're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone. Then you get to listen to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives. Today, we're going to discuss some personal finance New Year's resolutions and how you might achieve them. So, Nancy, number one on my list of uh, financial uh, New Year's resolutions is one of your favorite ones, and that is save more. So, Yes, yes, absolutely. And a lot of people have gotten pretty decent raises. Um, so this is a good time to split that raise with your pocket. You know, if you got a 4% raise, um, put 2% more into your 401k or your regular savings, and then you still feel like you have an extra 2% in your pocket, uh, and you won't even notice the difference. So saving more. Now, the other side of this, when I encourage people to do that and gradually work their way up to increasing their 401k contributions is not just to save more, but to make sure your savings are working for you. And so this is a good time of year to really look at your investment choices within your 401k. So every 401k has something called a plan menu. And a plan menu is the list of mutual funds which you can invest in with your retirement dollars. And most plan menus are designed like diner menus. You know, there's something for everybody there. But make sure it fits your age, your goals, your risk profile, your comfort level. Um, and if you don't know what you're doing, and don't worry about it because most people don't when they're looking at their 401ks, um, get some help so you can hire a professional to look at that plan to see what you're investing in to make sure it's appropriate to, to rework those investments because not only do you have to save that money, but it has to grow appropriately for you. Um, if you can't find a professional, a lot of people get help by just looking across the desk, you know, who's in your department who really seems to know what they're doing and ask for some help. Look at what they're investing in and ask questions, get educated about it. Go to the library, pick up a book on mutual funds, see if you can learn about them so that you can make an informed choice. So you can really make those savings go further by choosing wise in the investment side. And Nancy, I know one of the other things that you remind us about too is that there is um, there's a an amount that you can uh, put in in a retirement account that your your employer will match, and a lot of people, as you say, think that's the maximum. But so you want to make sure you understand what the maximum contribution you can make each year to your plan is. Right, the maximum is not what your employer matches. The maximum is set by law, and uh, we just had a change in that. My goodness, you're testing me now with a with a foggy, cold brain. <laughs> For people over 50, it's somewhere around 30000 a year. Um, I think it's around 23.5 or 24 for um, under 50. Most people never even get close to that. And um, But you should aim for it. And even those people that we do run into who are doing the maximum, sometimes they forget to go back and adjust because we do have often have those adjustments every year. 
So make sure if that's your goal, you're doing the most that is allowable by law. And then usual in your investment, you would want diversity, some sort of mix, maybe some things that are more of a short term and then other things that are maybe a little bit more long term. Although, again, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of that depends on kind of where you are in life. Right. I mean, if you're just starting out, if you're young, um, you know, just starting in the job market, maybe you don't need to have some conservative investments because this is retirement money. So I usually encourage those young people to just, especially if they're just, just getting started saving, is pick one good stock fund and go for it all. Just put everything in that. And then as you start to age, you can build in some bond funds. But what we see a lot of people do, they think, oh, I need diversity. So diversity means more than one mutual fund. Well, then they end up picking three or four mutual funds that are all invested in the same thing. So that's not diversity. So true diversity means that they're in different types of assets, in different areas of the market, and that's where you might need some professional help or at least get yourself educated about it. And then uh, one on the other one on the list that I've taken advantage of, it's uh, automatic transfers to, uh, well, mine's not an automatic transfer, but I do transfer money each month to high-yield savings account. I think the one I have is right at 4%, which it, I, it was interesting because it's grown significantly since I started uh, putting some money in there. But that's always fun to see when they send you, you know, a notice that the, the interest rate has gone up. So that's one thing. And then – well. Go ahead. I'm ahead of you, Kevin. Um, mine is paying 4.75% right now. <laughs> Drats. So it, it, yeah, right now, if you're not making 4%, you need to shop around. And you can go to an online bank account. These are banks, and they are FDIC insured. Make sure you see that on the site when you, when you set up an account. You can set up an account online, attach it to your local bank account, which is what I do. And um, and then gradually move that money over. And if you have something pop up that you didn't remember about, oh, my gosh, I need new tires for the car, you can move that savings back into your checking and write that check. Now, those high-yield savings, those money market accounts, all those savings accounts, they are variable interest rates. And so they have gone up as interest rates have gone up, but we are anticipating some decline in those rates over the next year to 18 months. So don't be surprised when they come back to earth a little bit, but you still want to make the most of that emergency savings. And so the difference between 2% and 4.75% dollar wise, you know, on $10,000 is you know almost $300. And then the final suggestion is, again, one of your favorites, is look at those recurring subscriptions and cut out the ones that you don't need anymore. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And I'm guilty of this. Every once in a while, I just have to stop and look at all the streaming services we have. And, you know, we get confused about um, my husband set some up, I set some up. Well, whose card is that on? Where is it coming out of? And are we even using that anymore? And um, so think about that. Think about gym memberships. They're great if you use them, but understand that most models uh, for subscription services like gyms count on people not coming, you know, (laughs) sign up, but don't show up because we just want your money every month. So anything, uh, we used to be magazines, now not so much those, but any online services that you're using for reading, uh, streaming services, that's really the one that gets me. And um, anything like a gym membership, look at those and think about, am I really getting value for that? Will I use that 
or do I just need to get rid of it? You know, I, the, with the streaming services, I would challenge people because this happened to me when I first cut the cord and saved money on cable. I, you know, I was it was almost half the price. But then I started thinking, well, gee, I want this streaming service and that streaming service, and then uh, yeah. and I thought to myself, well, you're going to go ahead and just build your build back up to what it was when you had cable. So it's the main one, like a Hulu to me is a main one because you can get other channels. But then there's you know the Paramount Plus, the uh, the Netflix, those other things. That's I think where you sort of hidden can build up a lot of costs if you look and see how many of the different services you have. So maybe pick out which ones are your favorites and do some streamlining. Well, the other thing um, that I have done is I make sure I have my alert set on my credit card. So that reminds me every time one of those streaming services hit, I can look at it. And what I've noticed lately, Kevin, is they're starting to increase their prices. Yeah. You know, my Apple TV, which I thought this is just the best buy out there, like six ninety nine, it went from six ninety nine to nine ninety nine in one month. That is a huge percentage increase. So if that alert comes through, it reminds me to ask myself the question, do I really need this? And look at what I'm paying. The problem with most of us is the smaller the amount that's coming through every month, the more we'll just go, eh, well, you know, maybe it'll be okay. Maybe I'll use it. And we don't think about it. But those little small amounts add up, and they take away what we could be doing otherwise. That that is so true because I I think that's absolutely right. You think oh that's only for four ninety nine a month that's not much. But again, as I almost did when I started, the four ninety nine times ten or whatever <laughs> gets to yeah. be some serious yeah. money. Money talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge Anderson, president of New Perspectives. You can email money at mpbonline.org and help pass some of the time this morning. We we'll also have a list of uh, fun, personal finance New Year's resolutions that you might want to adopt and try to improve your financial health in the coming year. So we were talking about saving money, and our co- colleague, my coworker, and the board operator for the show, uh, Abram, had a question. So uh, what do you have for Nancy, Abram? Yeah, good morning, Nancy. How's it going? Good morning, Abram. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Miss you in the studio today. Um, so my question, like everyone else, and uh, like the list says, I've got New Year's resolution to kind of spend or save more money um, and spend less. And uh, my question is about uh, PERS or deferred compensation. Um, so I know very little about it. I've uh, just started here this past May, and I don't have, as of right now, I don't have anything going into PERS. Um, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Well, okay. So that so, okay. so no less about it than I thought. Yes. So um, the state retirement plan is a really good plan, Abram. And even though Mississippi is a small state, it has been well managed, and uh, they've done an excellent job. But you have two retirement plans. So um, there are two types of retirement plans. One is called a defined benefit plan. And a defined benefit plan is uh, your retirement is defined by your benefit package. How long have you worked? What has been your average salary? And based on that, there is a calculation that says, okay, we're going to pay you X number of dollars a month once you retire. It's the old pension plan. That's what PERS is. And PERS comes out of your paycheck automatically. So go back and look at your pay stub 
Abram, and you're going to see that deduction. I'm thinking it's around 9% now, maybe. Um, but then the state puts in maybe somewhere around 13%. It's a really good deal. And that is set aside for you. But defined benefit plans means that the employer, not the employee, takes all the risk. Because they have to figure out, gosh, you know, Abram's pretty young right now. How long is he going to work for us? And how long is he going to live? And so how much do we have to put aside and invest so we can pay him that benefit every month? You don't have to think about it. All you have to do is show up and put in your time, and you're going to get your benefit. Those pensions have really disappeared. Um, They've become dinosaurs. Not many people even have those any longer. So take, you know, be glad you have them. That's great. But you also have the second type, which is now what most people only have, which is defined contribution plan. And a defined contribution plan is going to be like the 401k, your deferred compensation, a 403b. They go by different numbers and, and names. And um, that retirement is defined by your contribution level, how much you put in and how you choose to invest it. So defined contribution plans, all of the risk is on the employee. If you don't put money in, you don't have money to take out. If you don't choose wisely, it doesn't grow to the amount that you need it to grow to. There's no set benefit that's going to come out when you retire. And so there's a lot more risk with defined contribution plans, with 401k plans. That change happened with the change in law in 1974 with the law called ERISA, which put more requirements on pension plans. And so a lot of companies were like, we're backing out of here. We don't want to be retirement plans. We just want to take care of our business. And so they converted many of these over into these defined contribution plans. So the PERS happens automatically, Abram. The deferred compensation that's your choice, and I would encourage you to put, even if it's a small amount, to go ahead and put some in that deferred compensation. You'll be given that list of um, mutual funds you can invest in, the plan menu, and, you know, if, if we're in the studio, you can pop that in, and we can help you choose which one to put that into. Uh, but go ahead and do both of them, because what we find with state employees who retire that we work with If they have also contributed to the deferred compensation and then they have that great pension benefit, many of them end up bringing home more money in retirement than when they were working. It's a really good deal. Okay, so what I'm hearing is just really any amount would be good? Any amount will be good. Get started. All right, perfect. Thank you, Nancy. And Abram, just as a quick, you would just do that through payroll and it would be taken out of your check uh, each month. But uh, And the other thing is, from my experience, the, the website, uh, that the, the deferred comp website is, is fairly user-friendly. You can clearly see what, you know, how much money you're, uh, you are contributing and where it's going and you can make adjustments pretty, pretty easily on there. So, uh, and again, I would say with any kind of savings things, go ahead and start whatever amount you think you can afford. Just get it started because those, that's a that's a habit that's going to just get uh, easier and easier to save as you as you do that. So, uh, we Kevin, one okay. one thing about those um, websites because many people do manage their retirement plans through uh, websites is that often we see people who will adjust 
their new contributions. They'll say, oh, I need to change the funds I'm invested in, but they will only change it for the new contributions and they forget to go back and change it for the money that's already sitting there. So for most plans, that's a two-step process when you go online. Change it for the new money going in and change it for what you've already accumulated. All right. Uh, We have got a caller on the line, so we say good morning to Lisa, who calls in from Hattiesburg. You're on the air with us, Lisa. Go ahead. Good morning. We buy quite a few cars. Uh, We're in the business of, well, uh, selling cars and such. And sometimes we will keep a car and maybe drive it for um, a year or two years or three years. And something I've noticed lately has been the amount of cars that continue to have the Cirrus and XM, um, I'm sure those are subscriptions that they're paying for each month. And once someone has either sold or wrecked a car and it's gone through an auction, and yet the car still has that device, you know, uh, or, or that service being provided through the radio, they're wasting money. I've tried to find the people, you know, to send them a letter and say, hey, you guys, uh, this is still being paid for. But, um, you know, it's just becoming more and more. People aren't noticing that that is an expense that once they no longer have the car, that they need to make sure they do away with with that subscription. Oh, Lisa, that's a good one. And um, I do know that if you sell a car and you have that service, you can get it transferred to a new car. But, again, that just means you need to pay attention because that's, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to $30 a month that you're spending. And if somebody else is getting the advantage of that, I'd love get, to get that advantage. Um, <laughs> but um, that's just wasted money. Yeah, wow. It really is. And it doesn't matter if it's a newer car. Um, we've had them with Cadillacs with it on, all the way on down to a cheap car that has that subscription. So, you know, I especially want those people to not be wasting their money, you know. Um, it, it just It's the right thing to do to let them know that this is money that they're paying for, you know, a subscription that um, is wasted money. Oh, thanks for that tip, Lisa. That's really a good one. Yeah, Lisa, that, that's one I think a lot of people wouldn't consider. So thank you for calling in and uh, giving us that tip. Always good to help each other save money. <clears throat> We've been starting a list of uh, New Year's financial resolutions. The next one on the list, uh, Nancy, uh, to improve a credit score. And so I have a younger friend of mine. He's in his 20s, and he was asking me about, you know, building credit and that sort of thing. And I told him, and I think this is true, that that paying your bills on time, do you think that's the the most important part of when it comes to trying to maintain or improve a credit score? That is the top thing that you need to do, and that accounts for about a third of your credit score. Uh, the next third is how much debt you have outstanding, so that's really important. And we had a call at the top of the hour from TC who had trouble getting credit because of his low credit score, and that tells you how important it is to have good credit and a good credit score because it means it's going to cost you less to buy things. And it also means that you could get caught into what I think with him was some predatory lending mm-hmm. um, and get into trouble. And it becomes very difficult to get out. And then that is just like a snowball effect. Um, TC mentioned he had a score of 650. That's not great, but it's no, it's not terrible. I've seen worse. And you can 
build that up by really working at, first of all, making sure you pay your bills on time. Um, you do need to have some record of credit. I just had a question recently from someone trying to help their college son develop a credit. And, you know, should we give him a credit card? I'm really worried about giving him a credit card. Well, you can put some constraints on it. You can um, limit the amount of credit he can take out. And so he can start to build a good credit record, a good credit history by doing that. But um, paying on time, having some different types of credit that you have out there, credit card, car loans, house payment, your creditors are going to be looking at all of that in your entire history to award that score. And the higher the score, you know, the cheaper the money. It's just it's down to the folks who don't really need it. They're the ones that get it. One of the other tips on here is to <clears throat> limit how many new accounts you open, and I think that helps in two ways. First of all, it obviously helps your credit score and your credit report because, you know, uh, but also, and we've talked about this before, the more credit cards you have, it's it's harder to take keep track of from month to month, uh, and that might be something where you would slip up and p- not possibly pay on time. And again, we get back to that's again going to ding your credit score. So uh, pay on time. Well, Go ahead. Well, not only just not pay on time, but then you fool yourself into thinking you don't really owe that much because there's just little drips and drabs on several different cards. Uh, but when you sit down and add it up, it can be eye-popping. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives. As I mentioned, uh, David's holding on the line for us, so let's get to his call. And we say good morning to David, who calls from Horn Lake. Go ahead, David. You're on the air. Thank you, Steve McCoy. I got a question. Um, I worked for a uh, chemical company for 26 years, and uh, they've bought, sold, and merged and whatnot uh, multiple times over the years. Anyway, they uh, they uh, 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 declared bankruptcy, and they're wanting to dump their pension liability. And I've got an opportunity to take a severe haircut, a haircut I think that's what the, the term they call it, and uh, get out of the, my pension plan. My question to you is, how do you find a fiduciary uh, financial planner or investment company, or whatnot, because uh, uh, when you go in there, you you're you're uh, what do you call it? Uh, I want somebody look at my best interest, my best best interest only. Absolutely, David. First of all, let me ask this question: um, Was your company was their plan uh, set up with the Pension Benefit Guarantee Association? I, I do not know that. Okay, so that's an insurance plan that that if you have a private pension plan, they should be paying in to protect against bankruptcy. Okay. Um, so it sounds like what was um, the name of that again? The PBGC, the Pro- P- um, Pension Benefit Guaranteed Corporation. Okay. 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 Right. Now, it sounds like with what you're being offered, maybe you need some help from someone to look at that offer to see if it makes sense for you. Well, um, that, because uh, I'm sorry, I hate to interrupt you. Well, there was the the keynote I got out of my uh, pea brain ticking over the daggum thing is it's a single life annuity, and if I die, I'm I don't I'm I'm a widower. The the money disappears. So right. I, Right. Okay. So I was thinking and, if I, and if I take, I was thinking if I take the haircut, at least ways I have opportunity to, uh, you know, leave it to somebody. Okay. So um, that's how a pension works. You select 
whether it's just going to be just for your life or your wife or your spouse, or sometimes it can be for a child. And based on that selection, that's how much they will pay you every month. But if it's just for your life, as you say, you get hit by a truck tomorrow, that ends. And that's why a lot of people will end up saying, well, look, I, I don't want to, you know, take a future stream of benefits. and That's not guaranteed for me. I want that money in hand. And so that's what you're talking about there, taking a lump sum amount out of your pension plan. But again, you probably need to talk to a financial advisor to really see if that makes sense for you based on, you know, what is your Social Security? What are your income needs? Um, what is your personal situation? What is your risk profile and all of that? You ask about a fiduciary. When you talk to any advisor, ask them, are you a fiduciary? We at New Perspectives are fiduciaries. We always have been. We are required to put our client's interest first. We don't do anything that has commissions on it at all. And, um, you can, the most important question you can ask when you talk to an advisor is, how are you paid? And so you just need to have an understanding. Are they paid by commissions? Are they paid by commissions and some combination of fees? Or are they fee-only? We are fee-only. That is my preference. I'm more comfortable with that because that means that my interest and my client's interest are aligned. So those are the questions you can ask. But you need to, before you check a box on that form, I think probably sit down with an advisor to really look at your overall situation and make sure taking that lump sum is really appropriate for you. How old are you, David? Yes, sir, 62. 62, okay. So I'm just making sure you're over 59 and a half. That's another issue uh, with taking these pensions. Um, but again, talk to somebody about your overall situation who will give you some advice and not just be grabbing that money to invest in something that may not be appropriate for you. Okay, thank you. All right, David, thanks for your call. Let's wrap up the show by talking to Ann in Starkville. Ann got about a couple minutes left, so please be brief. Okay, thank you very much. Um, I, I just kind of a twofold. I'm new to the state, and I would like to know how I can best select an estate attorney to review my will, I, I want to make sure I'm up to date and have everything covered. It's about a 10-year-old will. And then um, also, how do I select an account, uh, an accountant and a, a tax preparer? Uh, I, I guess they could be one and the same. Right. Uh, um, the accountant slash tax preparer. So, um, and... Usually, we, we talk to people we work with about having a group of people that are talking to each other, um, an estate attorney, a an accountant, a CPA, and then a financial advisor. And if all three of those on your team are really communicating, they can help you the best. Now, you may not have estate issues. Um, right now, the limit is somewhere just shy of $12 million. If you have less than that, you don't really have estate issues. So a basic attorney, local attorney who does wills and uh, basic trust can help you by looking at your situation. And what you want with an attorney in that situation is someone who will ask you questions, ask you questions about your family situation and what your desires are to help you come up with the document that really fills 
that um, those requirements. Um, I usually tell people, you know, we we often have our clients ask us, well, who would you use? So we have a list of, of attorneys that we send people to. We have a list of CPAs that we are comfortable with. But I would say to you, talk to people around you, family and friends. Who do they use? You want to make sure you have someone who is knowledgeable, who um, has integrity. And the most important thing is you need to have someone you are comfortable with because you're going to have to be able to lay out your personal situation and not feel um, hesitant about revealing all kinds of financial information, family situations, so that they can guide you in the best way possible. So just ask some people around you, get some references, go talk to some of these people. You probably can call them on the phone and just talk to them for a few minutes or schedule a one-on-one meeting to see, is this a good fit? All right, Ann, thanks for the call. We are out of time. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks. So for Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.